Welcome back to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, where we will explore the local arts culture and community in the Lehigh Valley. We'll be doing this through conversations with individual artists, administrators, and organizations. We'll discuss all types of mediums with the goal of enriching local arts culture. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. I'm Ben, and this week we will have an episode featuring a conversation with Eliana Velez and Elise Schaefer. Born and raised in rural eastern Pennsylvania with a Jewish mother and Puerto Rican father, Eliana Velez was inspired to create art that could encapsulate her specific experiences with adversity and trauma throughout her life. As a survivor of sexual abuse and a person with a learning disability, she tries to create self-portraits that can allow people to understand her perspective whilst also working through her traumas emotionally. Her work is both a representational self-portrait of her face, but also an emotional self-portrait created by the vintage collage materials and found objects from her own life. These paintings are almost like diary entries and scrapbook pages, making comments about capitalism and institutionalized prejudice in the United States. In her experience, when you are a minority, every facet of your life is inherently political, and she works to convey this message within her work. Eliana, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for um, joining me in our pre-recording mindfulness technique that both of us started <laughs> uh, hyperventilating a little bit during. Yes. <laughs> but I'm so glad that you're here. And Thanks. I'm, glad that I'm we have so glad to be here. Time to talk about your artwork and that you brought your artwork here with you today. Yes. Which is very exciting. My brother's Subaru Outback. Oh. I shoved it in there. Wonderful. Love. With all my uh, Wawa garbage. Nice. Love it. Love it. <laughs> I like that you're really painting a full picture of like the studio to... <laughs> Absolutely. Studio to gallery kind of... <laughs> one bedroom apartment <laughs> to, <laughs> to here. Amazing. Wonderful. Well, I'm so glad you made it over here this morning. We're here to talk about you and your artwork cool. and your amazing portraiture work. Oh, which, thank you. Um, we're so lucky to have sitting right in front of us here today. But I thought we'd start with just a little bit about you and how you got started making art. So I started making art. I mean, I guess technically not like actual fine art, but I just always was drawing as a kid. Like my parents used to joke that like, I made so many drawings I would give them. They, like, would have to throw them away because, like, they just, like, didn't have room. Like, they didn't have the wall space for all the drawings I would just, like, pump out all the time. And I think my parents still, too, they have, like, a little, like, some painting we did in class from, like, kindergarten, like, hanging up in the house because they thought it was, like, so impressive for, like, a kindergartner or whatever. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. It just They said, like, it didn't look like everybody else's. I don't really see it. It's, like, just, like, some flowers we do with sponges, but... Um, they find it to be really special. And then by the time I reached middle school, I went to the Arts Academy, practiced visual art there. I had pretty cool teachers, though. They taught me, they taught us about Dadaism and things, even like in middle school. So awesome. I started out with a pretty good, like, at least art history foundation. And then I went to Charter Arts in high school and definitely studied art there for four years. So, yeah. Amazing. How do you, how was your experience with that? Did you like having like an art focused in your young education? I can't say I disliked it because I don't know what it would have been like otherwise. Mm -hmm. Like just in general with having art three hours a day, I think is like a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely grateful for the education I got um, that helped me, you know, practice, like learn a craft essentially. But I do think the intensity of that school and my education was actually pretty detrimental mm -hmm. on like my 
creative process. Interesting. Um, and was hard. But I mean, in general, too, I mean, even if I hadn't gone there, I have a very artistic family, you know, like I grew up going to my mom just taking my parents take us on outings to like art museums. And um, they're both like history nerds. My mom's a writer. My dad went to school for music education. So, um, you know, definitely we were always like I just live in a very creative household. So mm-hmm. I think it would have been a part of my life no matter what, even if I went to public school, I probably also like still would have like taken our classes or hung out with the art teacher after school or something. I don't know. Totally. With like weird kids, probably. <laughs> I would have ended up with the weird kids no matter what. But um, yeah. Awesome. I'm very, uh, I'm personally very invested in this idea of like alternate timelines and how every decision you make is very, um, like I believe you're fated for something like whatever comes to you finds you the when and where it's supposed to but yeah. this alternate timeline thing where we still have some sort of choice and how you get there is a little bit different so like the choice that you make to go to an arts academy versus like a public high school what effect that had on your art making process or your creative process or the eventuality of the art that you make now definitely i think is really interesting yeah definitely um I mean, academically speaking, and I mean, like, in terms of, like, uh, like art, hmm. academically speaking, visual art. It was, I mean, it was an incredible education. I mean, the thing, too, like, it was basically like getting a bachelor's, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But, like, from, like, 14 to 18. Yeah. And, like, unlike even college students who go to school for art, I mean, we learned art history every other day for, like, four years. You know what I mean? And we went to school 180 days a year, and we had, like, art every day for three hours. Um, So, you know, I mean, it was, like, academically, it was an incredible education, and I had great teachers in that kind of sense. Um, I do think just in general, and I think a lot of kids that go to that school talk about this a lot, or at least a lot of the kids I know, Just, like, the intensity, though, of, like, doing critiques at, like, 14. And, you know, like, I mean, kids would make fun of each other if their art was bad. You know what I mean? Like, that is, like, that's crazy for, like, teenagers. And, like, I didn't fully recognize the kind of toll that took until I was a lot older. Um, I really didn't start even making art until, like, fine art until this year. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything I did was kind of just, like academic but also I was very like scared to do it my teachers were very very classical Mm. so like or classically inclined I should say so like they didn't believe Dadaism was a real movement they really didn't um they liked abstract art but like they just they were very much so micromanagers and to some extent you know I understand that for like teenagers but then it also like begs the question should teenagers be in a situation where they're like being rigorously trained you know what I mean to be artists or should this you know should it be more creative focused Mm -hmm. and more for kids if you're a kid you know so I definitely think you know uh it was uh an incredible school but I do think it has a bit of like uh reading you for like some fantastic college sure you know kind of slant to it which unfortunately a lot of like public charter schools have mm-hmm. well it sounds like really competitive too which very much so and it's like it's weird because people don't really talk about how competitive it is like everybody kind of just acts like it's it's like fun and free and everybody's weird and you know we all choose to go here because um we would have been like bullied and you know 
public school or whatever or we're the weirdos. And so, like, everybody kind of acts like it's fun and free, but truthfully, like, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times kids ran out of critiques crying and, like, hid in the bathrooms. Like, that happened <laughs> multiple times. Kids flipped desks during critiques. Like, mm. things were nuts. Like, people were, I mean, I remember there was this one girl that would, like, she had like made music videos and stuff and things and put them out and like kids used to play it and like make fun of it and stuff like all over the school. Like it, it they definitely, your art was like very much so judged. Mm -hmm. And even if you were like not so cool, but you were very talented, people liked you more. You know what I mean? Like it, it, your popularity definitely weighed on whether or not you were good at what you were doing. Hmm. That's a really complicated overlap because you're in high school anyways so yeah it's difficult because so it's like not just about like <laughs> what you wear and like how, well that's the thing too is like going to a school like that where like the like musical theater nerds are like the popular kids and like there's no jocks or anything you know what I mean like nobody can be put in their place so your goal like instead of just like I don't know dressing trendy you have to look like you're like a Pinterest or like Instagram model like you mm -hmm. have to look like you're like on the cover of Vogue when you're just like going to class mm -hmm. like seriously like kids would wear like full like I don't even know like $300 like suit pieces I felt like I don't know like Gosh. kids would wear <laughs> I don't even know how to describe that like I they just would wear like expensive vintage clothes and like things you shouldn't be wearing to school. Yeah, I don't know. Like, right. like, I mean, kids would show up in like sweatpants and stuff too, like any other school, but kids would come in and wear giant heels all day, like knee high, like boots and like crazy stuff. And like, some of it was like fun and artistic, but some of it like created this really weird pressure. Like I never felt comfortable in school showing up in sweatpants mm. in high school. And now as an adult, I look back and I wish I felt more cool dressing as like a kid or you know what I mean yeah. or just like chilling at school but there was so much press pressure to be like cool and artistic at the same time and right. like have a good fashion sense yeah that's yeah I think it's interesting too because where in that line do you develop like a personal sense of style or the ability to like feel comfortable in what you're wearing if you're wearing things and I, I think that's true of any high school but it sounds absolutely. like absolutely amplified here in this situation where how do you find what you're comfortable like I'm t I just turned 25 and like I'm still working on that. me too <laughs> but it took me like um a long time to to really figure out my sense of uh personal style especially to like being an artist and being a very messy artist mm -hmm. I've like I've ruined my clothes all the time like I paint on like everything and I shop at mostly like thrift stores and stuff so a lot of my clothes are vintage and I have some really beautiful vintage pieces that like I've gotten paint on and I've been like holy crap like just recently I was like I need to go to Old Navy and just like buy some sweatpants like I don't own just like basic normal clothes that I can just like trash like I don't right. own things like that even the t-shirts I own are like cool vintage tees mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I need to like get some stuff. But like, I still felt this weird thing. Like I, like people are like, I don't know. Like I, I feel a pressure to be always new and different and artistic and original. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that does come from the pressures of high school and the particular kind of high school I went to where mm -hmm. you had to also be like people didn't like you even if you dressed like everybody else. Like you also should have, you were supposed to be cool, but also completely original. Yeah. And yeah. that was like, I don't know, very, very strange. It's very, only like kids who went there 
really understand, but I know like, you know, if kids who went there are listening to this, they're like, yeah, definitely. And everyone you talk to goes to that school. Like if you say that stuff, they're like, yeah. Every now and then you meet a kid who went there who's just like, yeah, I loved it. It was just fun. And like, <laughs> it was just cool. Yeah, we just learned art. And, but then, then all the other kids are like, okay, yeah. All right, well, it made me insane, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in keeping with this theme of your school experience as it relates to your art, I wanted to circle back to kind of talking about creative process and maybe what what that looked like for you then and what that looked like for what that looks like for you now. So when I started making art for like in a sense that I, I I wanted to be an artist and I thought this is my craft. I'm working towards something, you know, I'm working towards being an artist later in life. Um, I never really thought I was going to be a fine artist. I just kind of didn't, because I, I never found joy out of just like making art. Like there were always was like an academic purpose behind it. And truthfully, because of how rigorous my school was, like the actual workload, there wasn't really time to just do things on your own mm -hmm. that weren't curated by somebody. And for the most part, everything we did had some sort of like theme with it, which makes sense, like, you know, in terms of the learning process, especially for teenagers. You know, like if we did, like we would have personal projects that were different from our like academic projects, but we would still have to like do them in pastel. They would have to be a portrait. They would have to be, you know, a landscape or, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so I really had no understanding of what my own personal process was, especially because they kind of outlined even how our sketchbook was supposed to look, how we were supposed to work through ideas. Like they created this idea like, you know, um, every time we use a new mater material or like a new medium, we had to practice with it and document those practices in our sketchbook. But for me too, like I'm an experimental artist. Like it's almost more important for me to mess it up and to waste materials than it is for me to like practice somewhere else. Like mm -hmm. I, that's how I find joy out of making art is also through being experimental. And that's the thing too with like, um, uh, learning in that traditional kind of way or whatever that like, you know, it was kind of like art isn't about like necessarily finding joy in it or mm -hmm. just like being creative. Like that's a hobby. That's not a craft, which I do think to some extent is true, but also like, how are you going to like, how would you be a fine artist and love what you do if you're not loving your process? Right. Um, those are different things. And so, um, it took a really, really long time for me to kind of unlearn that way of thinking because every time I would go to make a piece of art, I would pull out my sketchbook and be like, all right, let me write down the dimensions of it. Let me, uh, you know, um, write down all the materials I think I'm going to use. Let me put down exactly what I think. Let me make my, all my different thumbnails. Let me try mm -hmm. different techniques. And it's like completely different from the process I do now. Mm -hmm. And my professor... Um, Jeremy Sight at El Tricy, Lehigh Carpenter Community College, is uh, kind of like helped me unlearn all of this stuff and helped me just like create, which mm -hmm. was very, very hard for me to do. I couldn't just like experiment. Um, and ultimately, you know, I found that's what I love. I think that's how I fell in love with collage, actually, um, because I kind of always felt like collage was, which I don't think this is necessarily true now, but it definitely has like a kitschy kind of element to it or like a crafty kind of element. Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, people make vision boards, you know, you don't have yeah. to necessarily be like extremely talented or even know how to paint to like collage necessarily. So I started making collages just in like a therapeutic way. Mm-hmm. Like um, I just started just like taking clippings out and I even like collaged on my wall in my bedroom at my parents' house. Um, and it was cool because I, you didn't have to think about it. Like it was just fast imagery. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like I, I could say like this isn't really my art. Like I'm just like doing whatever for fun. Yeah. Like, I'm just collaging. And um, that kind of helped open up that like doorway for me to figure out how I wanted my process to actually be. Mm-hmm. Where now, like, you know, I gather pieces of wood from the side of the road. I steal them from my parents' garage. <laughs> I like take shelves apart. Like, I don't care what the actual dimensions are. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And like, I honestly don't even know until I have to like put them on something or whatever, or like even like, and even then like I'm coming up with like an approximation. Right. Like, I don't even, I'm like, I don't even measure them. I like can't be bothered. But yeah. like, I don't know like the exact dimensions of it. I don't. Like, I gesso the surface. I don't, like, worry about it too much, though. I just do, like, a couple coats of gesso, especially because gessoing in my one-bedroom apartment is, like, really hard because, like, you can't get gesso out of anything. And, like, yeah, my carpets are destroyed, especially because collage, too, because collage is so uh, dependent on the materials you have at a given moment, and it can always be different, and doing it is, like, one of a kind. There isn't really a way you can plan it out. Like, there isn't really a way for me to plan out, like... These this these are this is the collage imagery I'm gonna put in here because it's all totally different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And once I use something, that's it. That's the only kind of that magazine I had, the only print of that ad that I have. You know what right. I mean? Or the only photo shoot that I have in that magazine or whatever. So it also created this thing for me where I was able to not think so hard about practicing or uh, perfecting my process before I did it, you know? Mm-hmm. And the first piece I did this year, which was my real, like my first professional piece ever, everything else I had ever done, I like I never did it on nice materials. I just felt like I wasn't good enough. I really didn't think I was like good at art. Like even sitting here still, I'm still like, dude, I have no reason to have anyone ask me about my art. Like this is not professional. Like this does not look good. Like I need to practice more. I need to draw more. Like, you know, my... Uh, academic self is like like dude like that is not portions aren't perfect on that like that is not like I still have this really uh negative thought process I guess Mm -hmm. or negative self that tells me that I'm I still need to like hone my craft more before I can show it to anyone or give it any worth Hmm. I think that's it's difficult right to have this trained understanding of and I'll use air quotes, fine art. Yeah. Um, and then kind of reaching this comfort comfortability with a medium that has a history of craft, quote, quote. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious if you feel like you talked a little bit about how you're working to overcome this and it's ongoing. But how do you in your mind define fine art? Fine art. I feel like it's art that is purely meant to be creative or thought-provoking. It's 
meant to not necessarily be seen in like a gallery, like a brick and mortar gallery, Mm -hmm. but I just mean like it's meant to be viewed by people and not necessarily serve a purpose of like something that you can use in your life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because obviously artists create spoons, artists create pots. You know what I mean? They design these things. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is art. You know what I mean? But it's not the same thing as like, you know, creating an installation piece that's literally just for the purpose of people to view for its beauty, lack thereof, for its purpose, and just like, I guess, like just pure design. I think it's like, because I think, I really do think all fine art is pure abstraction to some extent. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't really, like, I hate when people say art looks realistic because the only kind of realistic art is photorealist art. You know what I mean? And even then, like, it's still, in a way, an abstraction of reality. I mean, the whole point of art, fine art, is to abstract reality so that it's uglier than it was in person, prettier than it was in person. Mm. And to kind of, like, move through a person to another to show them what they saw in their own head. So I kind of think all art is, like, abstract. I like that. I struggle constantly with this term fine art and I I'll challenge you just for the sake of conversation do it where (laughs) I love this idea of like art designed for people to see in my head I'm thinking like there is a lot of art that ends up in a museum or in a gallery or wherever that was never intended to see by the artist right yeah and I don't think that you're saying that changes like the validity of it but do you think that changes like how a how a person views that piece of artwork like do you think that's something that's telling or something that is more like privatized in the viewer's eyes like i really believe in people freeing themselves from any kind of social norm or any kind of thing society built up or whatever so i kind of feel like too like there's a weird pressure from the world that if you're talented at something, you should be showing it. But I also feel like that's just internalized capitalism telling us that um, we always need to be competing. We always need to be making money. If we don't have money and we don't have success and notoriety, Mm -hmm. we're literally a worthless person. So I guess like fine art specifically, like, yeah, I would say fine art is a profession and a craft and that you know, if you're a fine artist, then you are making work to be seen. But I don't think all artists want to make work to be seen. Right. And that doesn't mean it's not beautiful and incredible and that it's not like valid. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. definitely like like I'm, I mean, there are people over the world making art that, you know, is never really going to be seen maybe by anyone, but mm-hmm. is even more incredible than what we have in museums. So um, I don't know if that's like a direct answer to the question. Mm, but it doesn't I, have to be. <laughs> but I guess that's true that like. I mean, I guess I think, too, like talking about professions and fine art, Mm -hmm. a lot of it is influenced by the way capitalism teaches us about how to make money. Right. And basically like that, you know, I mean, fine art that's meant to be seen is then meant to be bought you know, by somebody and you're meant to make money off of it. And you're not really a professional artist if you're not making money off your art. Right. And I think in a lot of cases, things end up in museums or galleries because someone thinks you're supposed to like them. Like it's not absolutely not for the necessity of like representing everyone equally, but for the necessity of like, this is the, the one, the this, people this is the, the f- this is the fine art, like, yeah, like it or don't, but this is it. It's and the here. standard of what it is and the people mm-hmm. at the top really just like artists are usually not the ones deciding what is worthy of being seen. It's right. usually just 
rich people, <laughs> to be honest, just to put it plainly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. It's exciting because one of the other reasons that you're here today and we carved out some time is because you're going to be showing your work here in mm-hmm. the gallery space at Steel Pixel. I'm very excited. I'm very excited too. And I didn't know uh, when we were walking over to get coffee this morning that this is your first gallery yeah. show? Like this official. is my first anything besides stuff that was either at my high school or my college. That's very exciting. It's really oh, we're, exciting. We're very excited. It makes you feel like a real artist. <laughs> I'm a real artist, you guys. <laughs> well, I hope that people listening, um, and I'll talk a little bit more at the end, but there will be an opening reception for Eliana's artwork. So I'm hoping that we'll have the opportunity to talk a little bit about it, give people a preview, and that you'll come see it in person. But let's talk a little bit about this piece that we have in front of us here in the studio today. Cool. That's my favorite one. Your favorite one. Yeah. Mine too. <laughs> thank you um but yeah give us give us just like the title and a little just a little blurb about it so this is called see you new to come back in quotes um which all the titles of my pieces um are kind of related specifically to hospital stays okay because of just my life in the past few years and to be honest with you, in all my work, there's kind of usually, maybe not so much in this one, but there's usually some kind of like, there might be pill bottles or cutouts from like anatomy books and things that relate back to hospital stuff. Because when I was 19, I had complications with gallbladder surgery and I was in the hospital for like two weeks. Um And uh, I had a very back and forth going in and out of the ER and um, just in my life too, I've had a lot of moments where, you know, maybe difficulties I've had are minimized or, you know, in general, like, you know, I dealt like with gallbladder pain and issues with my gallbladder for many years and doctors kind of just like told me it was anxiety or like in my head or like never looked in the right places, Mm -hmm. probably largely too, because I mean, I'm a girl, I'm a person of color um, and so after when I was having this horrible pain, because basically what happened was uh, when you get gallbladder surgery, um, you get your gallbladder taken out. There is a bile duct that connects to your small intestine that's supposed to get like clipped off. Mm-hmm. Um, well, to less than one percent of people who get that routine surgery, um, it just doesn't get clipped off properly. And it's not necessarily a fault of the surgeon, really. It's just kind of something that happens, Mm -hmm. anatomically speaking, and the bile leaks into your body. So it's basically stomach bile just leaking into your body as Mm. in like just creating infection and abscess. You know, if you don't get a fix, you would die. Right. It's very, very painful. Kind of felt like my stomach was like a black hole or like someone put a torch in my abdomen. Um, And I remembered I went to the ER, they gave me morphine, and they gave me, like, they were like, oh, eat a cracker. Oh, you feel fine? And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, I feel better now. I'm, on, like, morphine. I'm, on, morphine. I'm on morphine. <laughs> and then they were like, okay, well, you know what? We think it was just post-op pain. Go home. You know what I mean? And I was, like, writhing in pain. You know what I mean? And as soon as the morphine wore off, worse than it was before. And I went right back. And um, after the whole ordeal was over two weeks later, when I was getting discharged from the hospital, the one of the surgeons that had seen me, um, when I come into the ER originally was like, see, you knew to come back. You knew something was wrong. And I was like, <sighs> knew to come back. I 
like, what do you mean? Like I was like writhing in pain. I didn't know. To, I'm not a doctor. I'm 19. I didn't know to come back. I, I just had to like what? So that's kind of where the name comes from. Um, but yeah, so this piece is. Uh, um, I never really have a plan other than to collage and then paint myself into my pieces. Um, sometimes, see, I've done my I've done my pieces differently each time, kind of. Sometimes I collage and then I do the portrait. Sometimes mm -hmm. I do the portrait and I collage around it. I think this one was kind of a mixture of the two, but uh, I mean, the collage imagery, it's always somewhat planned in that I collage with certain materials for certain reasons. So, I am kind of a hoarder and I just keep receipts and like snatch weird things. Like, you know, if I go to a grocery store and I find like somebody's, I don't know, grocery list or whatever, <laughs> I take it. I don't know, find a report card from when I was a kid or, you know, maybe I like a library book I accidentally stole when I was a kid. I'll like rip out <laughs> the library thing and I'll put that in. So I try to always include things from my own personal life. Um, in them, but also, I mean, I collage with vintage Playboys because a lot of my work um, discusses the exploitation of women, even like, you know, in terms of you know, talking about specifically pornography and stuff like that mm -hmm. and uh, the sexual exploitation of women. So, I mean, all of it kind of centers around these themes. I mean, a lot of it also has to do with capitalism. I collage with like a lot of magazines and stuff. So, yeah. you know, um, advertisements and stuff mm -hmm. and just like I'm like... I mean, I don't really identify as any sort of label politically because you can kind of find anything wrong with like any kind of political party. Everyone should be working towards just working together, I guess, in like to put it in the most basic, most basic terms. And, you know, I believe in socialized health care and things like that. So um, my work is like the collage largely centers around advertisements, uh, pornography, you know, exploitation of women, uh, racism, all that kind of stuff. And also kind of humor. I love comedy and stuff. So I just put in like weird things. Like <laughs> there's a, <laughs> I have a cutout from like an airplane uh, book that says in the cockpit, which I find funny. <laughs> and then I covered up like the sea and cock. Um, so it's like, it's just funny. It's like a censorship. And my, then my favorite clipping is this, like how to talk to women yes. part that's kind of on the left. And that's from a vintage playboy. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so it's, I mean, it has like a serious purpose, but also it's really funny. It's yeah. like, why is there an article about how to talk to women? And it's right. also like, it feels like this really crazy, I don't know, very serious kind of piece. And then it just says how to talk to women, which people point out and laugh at sometimes I've seen. Um, <laughs> But, and then like, there's like clipping that just says cabbage patch on it. I don't know even where I got that from, but I just like <laughs> thought it'd be really funny to just like put the word cabbage on there. So like, there's definitely some humor. I mean, the collage also is just like, supposed to also describe me mm -hmm. and just like my own inner thoughts because that's kind of what it is. I mean, when I, when I personally am looking through a magazine that especially is vintage, like isn't in print anymore. We don't know how many of them even exist. And I'm flipping through and I find something that I personally enjoy. And then I put two images together and create a one of a kind image with these things that existed. Like that's kind of, 
I don't know, just kind of the inner workings of my own mind, something that's different than I feel like the painting process. In terms of like technical stuff, um, when I pick out the self-portraits, I, uh, for some reason, like I just can't paint without like seeing like blocks of color. Like it's very hard for me to paint just like a neutral or like well-lit photo. So mm -hmm. I need to like, I like turn the saturation all the way up because I really just like intense, like yeah. just color blocking sort of. And I honestly think probably as I go on with paintings, I see them, you know, the, the portraiture becoming more and more abstract or probably more and more like Egon Scheele and like very uh, mangled and not really anatomically correct. Mm. But I'm still in like an anatomically correct zone, probably related <laughs> to like my academic. Sure, yeah. You know, past and everything. Yeah. Um, I paint with my fingers a lot. Mm. For me, just like, probably having ADHD as well. And like I find painting to be, because I have post-traumatic stress disorder and I find like painting to be the most like grounding thing to me. Um, that just like really keeps me in the moment. So like um, using my hands and like surface is like very important to me. Like oftentimes with my paintings, I'll just like, just take my hand and just like move the paint around. Like not necessarily for even just like muddy it, not really mm -hmm. even for a purpose, but just like to feel it kind of. And yeah. like, so um, yeah, so I do, it's kind of almost like a sculpture in that kind of way. Um, it's it's very textured. It has a lot yeah, of texture. Yeah, I love texture yeah. a lot. And probably even as I keep going, it'll just get crazier and crazier. <laughs> and like, you know, as I keep making art, it'll like I've I just recently bought modeling clay so I can start like sculpting on top of them and stuff. Um but yeah. But like the halo around my head, that wasn't planned. And that was more it wasn't necessarily like a, like it wasn't like a subject choice. It was mm. more so, or like an emotional choice. It was more so like, I think I actually did paint the portrait first and then I collaged around it. And mm. then I had like just this empty section around the head and was like, hmm, what, what can I do? And then the halo, I kind of just like messed around and like was like, oh, that looks pretty good. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to, maybe we can sit and just um, like describe a little bit for our listeners what this looks like, um, just for like some contextual information, because it's really, it's complex and it's beautiful. And I, oh, thank you. the portrait is so striking. Um, so the piece that we're looking at that Eliana is talking about, um, it's about two and a half feet by two and a half feet and it's on wood panel like a very thin wood panel mm -hmm. um there's a central portrait in the middle of the piece of a young woman resembling elia <laughs> um with really dark uh like high volume hair and um like a dark tan skin tone red lips and kind of has her face turned up a little bit and looking off to the left of the painting and then surrounding the central portrait, which is just kind of from the neck up uh, is collage kind of intermixed with a lot of very brushy texture, some red paint towards the top right of the painting and then kind of darker paint and colors along the left that cascades into like a blue and a darkness along the bottom. But there's, as she mentioned before, a lot of um, advertisements and collage imagery interworked into the texture around the painting. And then, as she mentioned, that kind of like nimbus halo 
that centers around the top of her head. But it's really like really striking. Thank you. Beautiful. I, I'm I'm very intrigued. Um, and I know you mentioned like there wasn't any specific like subject interests in that, but like this like nimbus halo around your head, um, people associate that with like being gold um, as yeah. a, like religious icon imagery. Right. Um, this is not gold. It's like red and black and dark. Yeah. And there's like a little kind of like gold yellow inner worked into there. Um, but what was the, the choice behind that or the decision behind that? Or, or was there? <laughs> I never like anything to be, how can I say, it's going to sound really vague, but like plainly understood. Hmm. Like I like, I don't really like anything to be, I don't even know how to describe what I'm saying, but like in homage to anything, sure. like I like it to be, but I also like, I want it to look dirty. Like, I don't think it should look pretty. Like I want it to look, which I guess is like part of maybe working through my own feelings about myself, but also just like, it's like, I don't know. Like it's just muddy and complicated and, I guess maybe too, like I want it to be more powerful than I want it to be like ephemeral or like mm. pretty. And, um, and too, like, I mean, those lines I made with like my fingers. So like, you know, along the way, like while I'm painting and like part of that process, like my hands are covered in like random stuff. Mm -hmm. And like some of the choices on here, you know what I mean? Especially with like the abstraction of the paint and stuff, like it's not even fully my choice. Like it just like, it's just stuff that ended up there. Like maybe I stepped on a paint bottle and like it squirted <laughs> or something. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's a good point I didn't necessarily think about too, but I remembered like I painted on the metallic and just didn't feel like it was like, I just felt like it needed to be dirtier, I think. Cause I also, I didn't want to necessarily make it look religious right. or like so purposeful like oh like obviously this is like a halo like it's obviously like a madonna maybe type of thing mm -hmm. um i wanted it to be more like you're kind of quite like i guess that looks like a halo but like what is it really about mm -hmm. it looks like thorns almost like it's very yeah uh, which i again i'm not trying to connect to like religious iconography but um, well it's hard not to with <laughs> a halo hard. it's hard yeah i think the bigger point of it is that it creates emphasis which is the idea with a yeah. lot of that like imagery is that it creates emphasis around something and although it wasn't your intention to connect it to that like that's the point of it is right. like it's all directionally focused into your like this this piece definitely has like that classic art history triangle thing going on <laughs> and Absolutely. like i think that the the halo piece like plays into that a lot so well definitely too i mean like, even though I talk about removing myself from academia and everything, like, I still, like, am very much so, like, I love looking at geometry of art. Like, mm -hmm. I love looking at the golden section and coincidences mm -hmm. and, like, drawing lines between things and, like, 
I love measuring, you know what I mean? Like my portraits before I paint them. Mm -hmm. Like I, I really do love that some things about the technical process for sure. And like composition, I mean, obviously composition is like a big part of every artist thing, but like definitely like when I'm painting, like, you know, even though it's like emotional and everything too, there is just as much thought as like about the composition and about the technical side of it as there is kind of the emotional side of it as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I'm curious and I don't um, I don't want to minimize your comment about like not creating homage to anything, but obviously artists draw inspiration. Of course. Of course. Um, I had actually an artist that I thought of the second I saw the photos that Ben said of your paintings. But I'm curious if there are artists that you um, really feel like your work is inspired by or artists. It doesn't even have to be your work, but that you artists that you enjoy or feel that their work is very meaningful. Definitely. Um, sometimes when people ask me about like my favorite artist, I go blank. So let me just like <laughs> you're good process. Um, all right. So one artist that I used to say was my favorite artist, um, which I kind of found him not really out of my own volition, and I'm not really a fan of the. Like, the thing is too, and I feel like a lot of artists are this way, uh, where they like certain artists but not for what they're known for. So I used to say my favorite one um, was uh, Alberto Giacometti. I'm not a huge fan of his sculptures. Hmm. I love his paintings and his sculptures. He was like a perfectionist and like kind of not fully there, like nuts and like dirty and weird. And like his like portraits and stuff. And even like, it's just like, it's very gestural. And two, like, like when I draw, especially, like I always had this when I was like, all my art teachers were always trying to teach this out of me mm. because when I would draw, like I couldn't just draw a line. Like I drew like 25 lines, like everything I would draw would be gestural and like dirty and messy. And they were always being like, oh my God, like, no, like draw one line, like just make it clean, like make it nice. And like, I couldn't, like they were always <laughs> teaching it out of me and they'd always, they'd always be like, this is my style. And they'd always be like, you're a teenager. You don't know your style. But truthfully, it never changed about me. And I don't know if too, if it's just like the way my hands work. Like it just is the way I write, the way I draw. Um, so I found Giacometti because my, my art teacher, my junior year saw uh, still life I was doing and was like, you know, your work kind of looks like Giacometti's work. You know what I mean? Or, you know, it was making me think of that. And I was like, who? And then I looked at it and was like, because oh. that was like probably the first moment I saw an artist doing something that I was told was incorrect. And right. like he was a professional artist. Right. You know and what I mean? he, was he was known in enough. Yeah. And like helped start the modernist movement. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> <laughs> then I can make art like him, like yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? Like I, what I'm doing is right then. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So um, that was a big one. Duchamp um, is huge for me. Uh, just, uh, I mean, I definitely like his um, his uh, abstract and like Cubist works and even some of his more like figurative works when he was younger. But of course too, like not that I have a particular ready-made I'm like a fan of, but just like his tongue in cheek and just sarcastic way <laughs> of just like, I mean, and honestly, like he was like 
a pretentious like white French man and like I don't know how political or anti-capitalist his work necessarily <laughs> was but for me that's what I get of it like right. just placing a urinal like like in a beautiful gallery of rich people to me is just like the most badass thing in the world and I just <laughs> love it and like I just love like he just like didn't care about anything and like I just think that that I like definitely fell in love with him when I was younger um uh, Lee Krasner, I love. Um, I, I definitely just. I I have a lot of pure abstract artists. I just like like in general. Mm. But um, I also really love Cezanne, like his uh, like uh, geometric, like uh, just like kind of like square and rectangle shapes in his like landscape specifically, mm-hmm. are or his like paintings of villages are some of my favorite things. Um, I love Van Gogh, but. My favorite stuff of his are like a lot of his drawings, like charcoal studies of like hands or of people. Art Mesia Gentileschi, we were talking about before. Yeah. I mean, I also think like she was just a beautiful painter, like just a beautiful painter. But like her work specifically focusing on uh, women in, in powerful situations or lack thereof mm-hmm. in the Bible, um, you know, in her own life story, you know, which I relate to in general. Mm-hmm. Um I love her work, you know, just beheading guys is pretty awesome <laughs> um, and holding severed heads and things. Cause I also mm-hmm. like dirty and like grimy kind of imagery or like stuff that just doesn't like quite sit well with you. Mm-hmm. Um, that like un- uncomfortability. Yeah. Like I used to something. be obsessed with uh, these books called Sari stories to tell in the dark. Yes. I was obsessed with those when I, I was a kid. I loved those books. <laughs> and like the imagery in them was like disgusting. Very unsettling. Like, but also just like weird. Like it, it wasn't even quite scary because it was just like didn't quite even make sense. Yeah. I loved that. And like I really love like creepy kind of um, stuff like that. Yeah. And then probably just in general, I have works probably that come to mind. And I think like a lot of artists have this of just like random things that like they think of that they saw in their textbook and they're like, I don't know, it was a sculpture from the Hellenistic era. It yeah. doesn't even have an artist, but it like took my breath away. Sure. But um, I mean, for something that is pretty well known that, of course, I love that is like cliche to love that doesn't really have to do with my art, but I just love it is just like the Pieta. Like every time I see that sculpture, it's just <laughs> literally like I feel like I can't breathe. Like it's. Even just like in photographs, you know what I mean? And I can't imagine, I'd probably pass out if I saw it in person. Like it's just, it's just outstandingly beautiful. Um, Also probably like the Last Supper by Da Vinci, Mm. uh, the geometry in that and the um, way he specifically placed the figures speaking to one another. Mm -hmm. I love, I think that's beautiful and is something I would go for in my, I would go for it. Yeah, I'd go for it to be like Leonardo (laughs) da Vinci. Um, go for it. I just like go for being that, like, you know, like a <laughs> painter, just like transcended time, like basically. And <laughs> I'm still talking about today <laughs> from hundreds of years ago. Um, but anyways, yeah, like I just I just love the geometry of that piece. And it's like a very weird size, like just mm-hmm. this long rectangle. Um, and I just I really like rectangles and squares. I like weird dimensions. Mm-hmm. Anyways, no, <laughs> that was like a very awesome. weird tangent of me bringing up random not at all and stuff. But. Not at all. I like to hear like all the intricacy of 
what people enjoy and how that kind of plays into their artwork. And I, I'm thinking of the other pieces that you brought with you um, for the gallery show that like the beheading one is obviously yeah beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, but the focus on portraiture is really fascinating. Um, and I, th the one artist that I wasn't, super familiar with her and I'm trying to think where I can't even credit where like I heard of her I'm sure it was on TikTok which I hate that like a <laughs> good amount of my art history education about people of color is like on TikTok but hey hey that's it is what it is and speaks a lot to our society yeah um, really really but <laughs> Mar I always say her first name Myrna Baez hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with her no. she's um was a Puerto Rican artist and a painter and printmaker who was really big um, in like bringing art education in her communities. But I wanted to sh actually just even show you this portrait because I think I like when I saw this portrait, I was like struck with how yeah. the resemblance between. Oh, wow. Um, just I'm kind excited. of like your style and the color palette. And oh, I wish I could make this bigger. So for those listening, this Mirna Baez piece, uh, it's a self-portrait of the artist and it's about from the waist up. She's turned a little bit to the left, but looking, making direct eye contact with the viewer. And it's all painted in blacks and this kind of like dark reddish brown wash where the background is very drippy and textured. And there's an outline of her wearing maybe like a sweater or a shirt that has a very heavy collar on it. She's sitting up very straight with her eyebrows furrowed a little bit. There's some white space on her cheek and her neck that serve as like a highlight from where the light source is coming from. And her hair is all piled um, on her head and kind of around her head. Looks a little bit curly, but it's very abstract and, and kind of drippy. I love that a lot. Is that a self-portrait? I believe so. Yes. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, and it was almost, the color was the first thing that like really struck me. Is this, this kind of like warm orange brown. And like the unfinished kind of color blocking. Yeah. And, that. and the drips. But yeah. That's beautiful. I guess too, like that's very gestural. And like the thing I love about gesture specifically is like, I like, for people to see what the actual processes yes for artists yes. through their work like i not that i hate it i mean of course i i mean i i find all types of art beautiful like all different kinds of genres but mm -hmm. for me personally like i don't like to see something that just looks like really crisp and clean and like you're not quite sure even how the layered or pro like i love when you can tell you can almost feel how the artist moved yeah. When they were painting. I think those are some of my favorite works. Um, and I'm very drawn to impressionist work and like modern abstraction. And we talked yeah. a little bit before about like Jack Whitten and Jackson Pollock and um, exactly that. Like I'm a very visual person. So like when I can see brush texture or like individual globs of paint, I really connect with art that you can see that in for exactly yes. that reason is that like I can sit and look at something and visualize the artist like making it while I look at it, which I is a huge part of enjoying art for me personally. I think that's why too, like you saying that made me think of uh, why I like or like why Calder's like mobiles are so intriguing. Yes. Because 
it's like just for the way that they you can see his intentions mm-hmm. in creating it and his expertise and how they move mm-hmm. because you know like he had to engineer you know what i mean the design of them mm-hmm. that's can be that's what can be interesting about sculptures too is like really being able to see the engineering of it or you know just like learning in art school about you know the david and you know why his head is kind of too big for his body because right. you're supposed to view it from below and right. things like that yeah i had a project in school that was about local art that is inspired by classic art. Yeah. Um, and one of my favorite pieces of public art in the Lehigh Valley is the sculptures down on the Banana Factory campus by Carol Mikolas. Yes. He's a local artist. Um, very, very indicative of like, he's an ex- extremely talented sculptor who does realist pieces. He has um, a piece on Lehigh's campus of Asa Packer that's very realistic. But these sculptures, I'm so drawn to them because they're super indicative of like, of Venus, yeah, um, created without arms, but also um, very focused on like female figure mm-hmm. and almost faceless. Like they yeah. have a face, but faceless. Um, you can see how this artwork is like the intention and the inspiration versus like the final output. Yes. It's just really interesting to me. And I think those are a really good representation of like exactly what we're talking about where people pull inspiration from stuff, but really make it their own. And I don't know what his specific intention was with those pieces. I don't know why the women are faceless and armless and <laughs> have really nice breasts and like all this, <laughs> like all of this, but I, that's like a good illustration in my own head for like point a to point b to point c and beyond definitely and i just i find it interesting (laughs) i guess too like now that we're talking about portraiture and um art inspirations and stuff and now that you showed me that too maybe think of a couple of other specifically like because then I started thinking, like, why do, like, so I didn't mention any portraiture artists. Like, huh, like, <laughs> what do I like? Um, of course, Rembrandt is an incredible painter. But um, also, like, I've always been drawn to portraits that were kind of, like, game changers or, like, artists who almost were, like, journalists mm-hmm. who painted peasants or, you know, in quotes, lower class people, or even like the girl with the pearl earring, like those kinds of portraits where you're just looking at a person who was real. And, but you like, and, and now they're like, they were kind of a nobody, but now they're kind of like encapsulated in time mm-hmm. forever. You know what I mean? As something almost like uh, godlike or like, you know, otherworldly sort of. I have a lot of, portraits that I like not necessarily artists but like that I love but also I was thinking too of like once you showed me that Frida Kahlo and I I'm not a huge fan of her work technically speaking like just just I mean personally like not that she wasn't like technically incredible but I like she has a crispness to her work that I'm just not very drawn to so I don't really pull inspiration from how she painted but taking her own experiences and painting herself, obviously, mm-hmm. I really, you know, am attached to that similar idea um, for sure. Absolutely. So we talked a lot about your work and how um, your educational background really 
plays a lot into what your work looks like and the artwork that you make now. But I'm curious, you mentioned a little bit before we were, before we started recording, talking about um, like your personal background and your cultural background and how, how does that impact what your work looks like in the work that you're making right now? So one of the reasons that I am also very tied to self-portraiture, um, which seems kind of selfish in theory, but <laughs> um, also um, specifically relates to my want um, or need to show other people what my life experience could be like um, related to the adversity that I've dealt with throughout my life. Growing up in rural Pennsylvania, you know, with my, my father's Puerto Rican and my mom is Jewish, I never quite really fit in. Um, you know, I had a lot of really particular circumstances growing up, um, being a survivor of sexual abuse, um, childhood sexual abuse, being, um, you know, family dealing with financial problems. You know, my mom um, has an autoimmune neuromuscular disease and, you know, she was in out of the hospital a lot of my childhood and we had a lot of medical expenses that made created certain financial problems in my family that were difficult to explain to people, especially as a kid, or get people to understand. Mm -hmm. um, when I was 10, my our house was foreclosed upon, and um, we had to live in a home for, like, through winter without heat and things like that. So, like, my background, not just when it comes to, like, culturally speaking, but also just, like, my experiences growing up, I feel like was very unique and made it very hard for me to relate to people or to get people to understand where I was coming from. Um, from a very young age, especially too, like just with who my parents are, they, you know, just were always educating us, showing us documentaries. When we were kids, we used to play like my brothers and I, like Lewis and Clark, because we were obsessed with the Ken Burns documentary, uh. <laughs> which was like not necessarily a normal thing for like eight year olds to like be obsessed with. But like we really were like we loved history. My parents taught me a lot about civil rights, um, about my background specifically, you know, coming from an interfaith and biracial like, you know, family. My parents made understanding our culture and being proud of our culture really important um, in our lives. So uh, from a very young age, I mean, from like when I was in kindergarten, I had like pictures of Dr. King like hung up in my bedroom and like would go to the library at school and check out only books about the civil rights movement. Like I was very obsessed with like the civil rights movement and like uh, <laughs> Rosa Parks and Harriet Tubman. The first chapter book I ever read was Who Was Harriet Tubman, I think. Um, so I like by the time I got into middle school and high school, I was always getting into fights with students, teachers, anyone who I thought said something that I found offensive. You know, like I would hunt kids down if I heard them say the arsler in the hallway and be like, um, why'd you say that? Here's all the like historic context as to why that's inappropriate. And they'd be like, okay, we're like 14, what are you doing? Um, so uh, that put me in a lot of weird circumstances, you know, especially like, you know, going to church and school or like, meeting people different places, having friends, because kids would be like, Eliana, you're always offended by the things that we say. Or, you know, you're, you always want to talk about racism. You always want to talk about serious stuff. You always want to talk about um, your experience and things, you know. And sometimes we just want to have fun. We just want to be teenagers. And I was like, yeah, but I can't be. You know what I mean? Like, this is who I am. This is my life. And so just because you get to take it, I think that's like something about 
prejudice I always try to get across to people. You know what I mean? Especially in terms of like now after the George Floyd movement and a lot of performative activism online, like activism isn't just something you pick up and put down. And that's the whole point of like people of color, women, like, like you know, queer people, poor people, like we don't just pick up and put down our experience. We carry it with us everywhere and the weight of it follows us everywhere. So everything we do is inherently about um, our experiences with prejudice and, you know, growing up in the U.S. So um, a lot of my work, you know, in discussing the exploitation of women um, and racism and advertising also has to do with, you know, being a kid not feeling represented or included anywhere um, because of my background and my experiences. You said creating portraiture is selfish, that you make it for selfish reasons. (laughs) It just feels like, because sometimes I just sit back and I'm like, oh my God, like I, all I paint is myself. Is that like weird? Like I don't, (laughs) you're creating the representation you wanted to see, right? Yeah, I guess that is true. Yeah. I think it's important. And I, it's beautiful work too. Thank you so much. I hope you don't think of it as selfish because I would, I'd like to see more of it. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, I hope people will take the time to come and see your work in person. Are there places online that people can find images of some of your work? Yeah, you can go on my Instagram. It's at Eliana Velez underscore art. E-L-I-A-N-A-V-E-L-E-Z underscore art. Well, Eliana, thank you so much for coming in today. (laughs) And thank you for talking about your work. Thanks, Eliana and Elise, for that awesome conversation. We are happy to announce that Eliana will be the next artist on display at the gallery at Steel Pixel Studios. The show will run from Wednesday, September 14th through the beginning of November. The opening reception will be on Wednesday, September 21st from 6.30 to 8 p.m. That will be at 701 North New Street, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Make sure you stop by, say hi, and see the works in person. We hope to see you there. Thanks for tuning in to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, a Steel Pixel original series. Don't forget to like the podcast, leave us a review, and follow us on both social media and streaming services at Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast.